Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 257. So I see a really juicy topic there, Stephen. So I spent the entire day today playing with KeyCAD, uh, which the last time that I downloaded and, and spent some time with KeyCAD, or is it KiCad? I know somebody's going to be yelling at me right now, being like, it's KiCad, whatever. I'm going to call it KeyCad from here on out. If it's KiCad to you, just replace that in your mind. So <clears throat> so I spent the, the entire day playing with KeyCad, and the last time I really put some effort into KeyCad was many, many years ago when I was at the Fab. And uh, I think both Parker and I downloaded it at one time to just kind of like play around with it and figure it out because it was like, ooh, there's this new free EDA tool. Uh Maybe it wasn't new at that time, but it was new to me at least. Yeah, that was around version four of KeyCAD, I think. Yeah, what, what's it on now? I don't even Five remember. something. Yeah, it's something like that. Uh, so I, I actually downloaded it this morning. And 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 the reason why is because we got a customer who uh, sent us some boards that were KeyCAD, and uh, I wanted to prep them for manufacturing. So, so a lot of – with some of our customers, we – if we've been working with them for a while, we will uh, just uh, work out like manufacturing bugs with them. But if they're a new customer, we we tend to just say, hey, if you can send us your files, then we'll do things like uh, adjusting the board outline for panelization or uh, adding fiducials if necessary or just a handful of other things that are like housekeeping jobs mm-hmm. that need to happen and 99% of the time don't affect the end result, but they just make it so it's possible to manufacture uh because a lot of times like a designer isn't thinking about the machines that this thing has to go through they just think about the rectangle that their world exists within hey my rectangles have corners that are <laughs> mine have chamfers <laughs> mine are rounded so, uh so yeah a lot of times i have to massage people's boards to get them ready and that's what i was doing today we had a customer where it was like okay cool i've got a handful of boards and these boards are are very tall and very thin. So they don't really work very well to have um, tabs in between the boards in an array. They work really well for having rails on the top and bottom, which is great because that's how they go through our uh, our assembly. And and since they're so thin, when we uh, panelize them, we need to panelize them in like probably a minimum of five, I would say, five to 10, something like that. With these, I think I'm going to go with five. Uh, it allows us to not put too much stock in one array. Mm-hmm. So, the, okay, so I, I kind of want to do a little bit of a side note because as I was playing around with this, I I've, I've thought, okay, I'm literally going from scratch here. I'm downloading an EDA tool, and as opposed to a lot of other situations, in this uh, situation, I know exactly what I want on the output. So I had to make KeyCAD do exactly what I wanted. I knew my end goal and I knew my starting goal. I had to figure everything out in KeyCAD. So I, as I was playing with KeyCAD, I wrote down notes on things that were like, oh, this is cool. And oh, like, oh, why is it this way? And I thought it'd be fun to kind of talk about that today. Uh, actually, and and before I start, I wanted to give a quick side note about something that I feel is unique to the the idea between hardware versus software. And I and I apologize to anyone. I'm not trying to boil down either one of those into too simple of a concept here. But uh, 
to make a change or to add a feature to hardware takes a lot in my opinion what i mean by that is if you want something in hardware you have to be pretty damn sure that it's worthwhile and worthwhile can mean a lot of things like worthwhile as in like the end user like finds value in it but it could also mean like oh i just think this is cool and i like it therefore it's worthwhile but uh, making a decision, even to something as simple as a button in hardware, requires a lot. You have to spec a button. You have to find a way to get it into your processor. You have to physically add it to something. Uh, that, in my opinion, is a little bit different than software. And, I, and I'm not trying to say that software is easier by any means. Uh, in fact, I would make the argument that it's quite a bit not easier. But let's say you already have a program and you already have like a tile of buttons up at the top, then my argument is adding another button is adding another button. There's a lot of code that goes behind that, but it's not as much of like a huge issue to say like in terms of like hardware where it's like, mm, if we add another button, that means more physical pins and more connections and all these other things that have to happen behind the scenes. So I kind of feel like feature creeping in software is almost more dangerous than it is in hardware because it's a little bit easier to just say like, Oh, I can just do that. You know? I mean, look at the software beer Smith. <laughs> that is yeah. definitely what you're talking about is like, Oh, we can add this new feature with this button. And now it has like eight zillion buttons on the home screen. Well, cause the framework for the button is there. So they're just like, Oh, all it is is just a snippet of code. Right. Uh, so, why am I even talking about all of this? Well, it, it kind of, it's a little bit in reference to KiCad here. So my goal today was to jump into KiCad, open up my customer's files and massage them into a panelized array. And I noticed some pretty interesting things. So first of all, I don't remember this or recall this uh, from previously. And this is this is a feature that I'm really, really sold on with dip trace is moving between layers really really rapidly in, in, in dip trace it's funny because I, I kind of relate this to first person shooter video games like Bar parker's kind of smiling here in first person shooter video games how do you access your different weapons how do you do that for me, it depends on the game but well, it depends on the game but in most general. time i do quick keys like one two three four and above was Right. Or you could use the mouse wheel, right? But but in general, the 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 default is the the above was is you got your number keys. That's how dip trace works. Layer one is your top layer, layer two is your bottom layer. If you add internal layers, they just go in sequence. So if you need to like scan between layers to see like, hey, how do I sneak a trace around in dip trace? It's just you're hammering through layers. And I love that because it allows me to see my board very quickly. And in a lot of other EDA tools I've found, switching between layers is way more onerous. You have to go to a menu and you have to say, I want to show all the top layers and then I want to show all the bottom layers it, or, or whatever. Uh, or you have, you build layer sets and things like that. It's not as fast as going between layers. So it's sometimes it can be a little bit more difficult when you're trying to see like, oh, I need to take this lay this trace to this layer and then to that layer, or this one is better than that. I love dip trace for that. And KiCad has that which I don't remember it having that before. 
it's it's a little bit more awkward because it uses like page up and page down, which no problem there. Uh, but it's it's not as easy as one two three four for me. But and then it uses some of the F keys for internal layers, so you kind of have to walk around. It's still generally easy, and I really appreciate that. Super cool. Uh, by default, now I think we talked about this a while ago, or I, I, Parker mentioned it a while ago. the The mouse wheel is like I'm using air quotes here. Proper zoom, <laughs> where like. <laughs> It, it, it follows the same <laughs> rules as a lot of other programs. So you don't have to rewire your mind in order to use it. KiCad has, this is a big problem with the default way this happens on KiCad. Well, it is no longer the default or the, the awkward way is no longer default. Yeah. I, I, well, I knew they added the option where you can like check a box in the setting that makes it like how every other program uses it. So they <laughs> must have realized everyone checks that box now. Yeah, possibly. I don't. Yeah, maybe it reported back to the mothership, and they're like, "Oh, yeah, ninety nine percent of people checked that box." Yeah. Uh, so it's that way now, and middle mouse click is scroll now, which is awesome. That's so good. Good. That's how it should be. That. <laughs> yes. Yes. That is how it should be. Uh. The, so one of the biggest takeaways from downloading KeyCAD now is, in in a few hours, like I was. Uh, doing everything I needed to do. It was, it's super user intuitive now. It feels really nice. Like everything does what you kind of think it would do. And if you're like, huh, I need to find this feature. It's, they're typically worded fairly well. And it's just easy to navigate. Uh, Previously, I remember thinking like, okay, this feels like, a drafting program like the way old KeyCAD was it it felt like okay there's those oddities that once you figure them out you're really really fast at it but now they kind of got rid of the oddities and just made it feel nice the user experience is is better um i also think that KeyCAD spent a lot of time with just like making their buttons look kind of cute you know like everything has like kind of nice graphics behind it and there's you know i don't care about that necessarily but it's it's also like no that's cool you know so uh something that dip trace just added recently that i think is like i don't know why it doesn't exist by default at the beginning but snapping to points like uh, KeyCAD has snapping to the endpoint. So if you draw a line and you need to draw a line from that endpoint to somewhere else, you can snap to the edge of it and just go for it. And that is so critical. I i can't tell you how many times I've run into programs where that don't have that and you think you've closed a rectangle or something like that and then pfft, it's not closed. In fact, Google SketchUp had a lot of problems with that back in the day. I, I'm sure that it's much better now. But like closing a polygon without snap points is like maddening so uh, i think that's super awesome now now here is something that is in reference to what i was talking about earlier with hardware versus software that uh i think is is kind of interesting so in terms of like navigating around the software keycat is is excellent in my opinion in fact if someone was like hey what what program should i get i'm gonna start making pcbs i'd be like just go get keycat and learn it because as soon as you learn that like any other eda tool should feel very similar i feel like it's a great starting point now uh and and not that like starting point as in like you would need to go to something else later you could start and end in keycat i feel 
there there is some interesting quirks though because it doesn't feel full featured when it comes to manufacturing like you can still you can get gerbers out you can you can do all your plots and things like that but when it comes to creating arrays there's some unique quirks where i'm like huh and, and i i was doing a handful of research on google earlier and it seems like a lot of other people tend to agree with this where it's like yeah this is maybe a future update kind of thing with keycad so in order to create an array in keycad you basically select talking about a panel array a panel array yeah so so take your pcb and make however many number you want in x and however many you want uh, you want and why, and then tell it the spacing, and pfft, it just spits it all out, right? That's that's great. Uh, there's some unique quirks to that that uh, are are can be both positive and negative. And and I do not envy software guys because software guys have so much power under the hood that they have to control. Where it feels like you could get lost just trying to fix everyone's uh, edge cases. I, I feel like in hardware, there's a lot less edge case hunting because in, in many ways it's limited. And a lot of people that are already using hardware just know that it's limited. So they're not going to approach those edge cases. Whereas with software, it's a lot easier to ride the, the fine line between like, this is an edge case. Who knows if they're going to do it? And if they do it, is it going to break everything? I'm not sure. So, so Back to panelization. Take this as an example. With KiCad, when you go to panelize something, you select all the items that you want panelized, you right-click, and then you just say array. And then it gives you some prompts about how many do you want, how do you want them spaced, blah, blah, blah. And you press go and ta-da! Like they're arrayed, and that's super awesome. You still have to massage some things because it's when it's arraying them it's literally just copying and pasting copy pasting yeah and you still have to create like the pcb rails on the side and things like that one of the cool things though is that it when it copies and pastes it copies the ref des so if you have c4 and you do it five times you'll have five instances of capacitor c4 and that's really great and that's required for manufacturing you have to have that dip trace on the other hand doesn't handle it that way um DipTrace fights the user in every possible way to never create duplicates. And there's really, there's a lot of positives and negatives behind that. Because if you create a duplicate of something, uh, it can get confused really quickly. And when you say, which C4 are you talking about? Are you, do you start doing things like C4 underscore one to mean the first array or blah, blah, blah. The way DipTrace handles panelization is it doesn't make copies of things it, you tell it how many things you want to copy and you tell it which direction you want it to copy and the spacing and blah 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 and then it creates these white boxes that represent the copies but it doesn't actually show you the copies now keycad actually physically creates a full-on copy of the other thing uh which i think is is great there is a downfall to that however so the ref does being maintained is great but the changes you make to the original board don't get translated to any other board. So you have to make sure the very, very last thing you do is array. Because let's say you you build a board and you array it and you spend the two hours to massage all the board outlines and then you find a problem. 
you have to start over. Like you forget to put a fiducial on, on yeah, your board? Yeah, yeah. And and let's say you, you decided to do a big array, like a 25 by 25 or something. You're not going to go and, and put fiducials on each and every one. Uh, and it's like, ah, like you're creating array, but it's, they're not linked in any way. And uh, that's that's one of the benefits of uh, doing like a linked connection like in DipTrace. You can actually, you can, the very first thing when you make a PCB in DipTrace is you can drop down your board outline and then set your, your panel. You could do that the very first thing. I'm sorry, set your array. Um, I don't, I don't remember how Eagle does it. How do, how does Eagle do panelization? Uh, very similar to KiCad where, um, so it will make a, it makes copies, but what it does is instead of making two copies of C4, it will make a new designator for it, but then it does, it copies the designators to a new layer. I think it's like layer, like 200 and some odd whatever right it's just some random layer and it makes that c4 and so when you go to export it it changes the silk screen to that copied <laughs> that's it's actually really a brilliant idea. About, so that dude. way you have you have independent parts still but when you make your silk screen it's correct is that is that the uh squash command or something like that no, but the squash command, I don't think the, squ the squash command doesn't exist anymore, actually, in Eagle. Oh, it doesn't? Okay. No, everything's squashed by default. <laughs> there's a new command called, well, there's a command that was always there, but because um, it used to be you would you could, so back in Eagle, I guess, 8 or prior or whatever. Anyways, before I noticed that that feature went away, um, when you put down a part in Eagle, your designator excuse me excuse me um all the 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 text that described the component like a designator was connected relative to the components so if you move the component around the designator went with it and you couldn't do anything about it now you could squash the component which unlinked that and so you can move the designator around in relationship to the part so like you could disassociate it and yourself around, which is really that's like the last thing you do right is clean up your silk screen mm -hmm. um but they got rid of it and just made everything like Squash. the designator is relative to the component but you can move the designator around wherever you want so so if you place a, say a resistor and then you move the uh the, the designator and then you move the resistor does it move it keep that relation it, it moves it moves the designator with it okay in that same relation yeah, same relationship. Okay, that's um, cool. So it's basically everything is just squashed by default. Mm. And then if you mess something up, there's a function called like restore position. And it like restores the silkscreen. Oh, it, it it, does it suck it back to the position that's in the footprint? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I like that. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's interesting that squash, basically because like everyone ends up squashing every single component because you have to tweak all the designator silkscreens right. eventually. Right, right. And... Yeah, so it is one of those. Oh, everyone does this a hundred percent of the time. So let's just make them make it by default. You know, squashed. Yeah. Yes. Uh. So no, it's not squashed. It was smash. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, same same thing. Like, what does that even mean? Smash. Squash. Well, so eagle, it the eagle's really weird in how it names things because it was, it's written by or at least originally was written by Germans. Right. That's German why paste software. is cream. Yes. 
Yeah. So paste translated into German and then translated back is cream. <laughs> this is solder paste. Those are some things that I'm I'm curious about because like, why leave it that way? I think it's just convention. It's still called cream. Yeah, it's still called. <laughs> Even after Autodesk bought it. No, I, I can't remember. I was looking at something else. Yeah. Oh, you know, I was looking at a stencil printer stuff, and uh, it uh, it's Korean, and they call it a cream too. Uh, which okay, cool. If it if it translates that way, that's fine. It, the first time I saw that, I was like, wait, what? Cream? <laughs> so so <clears throat> back to keycap. So I got everything uh, uh, arrayed up. I wanted to add mouse bites next because in general we use mouse bites cuz they're they're easier um to deal with. So uh we have some default methods of doing uh, mouse bites. So I just wanted to copy those over. I, like I said earlier, I knew exactly what I wanted out of this array. I just need to dump it in. Here's where one thing just baffles me and I'm I'm curious about the mindset behind this and I'm I'm not saying it's bad, it's just like that's a really interesting choice to me. There is, you can't just place a hole in KiCad. Like there's no function to just place a hole. And I actually spent a good chunk of time like searching around. I was like, Hey, where's my button to place a mechanical hole? And it just doesn't exist. That's because KiCad wants mechanical holes to be considered a footprint. So in order to place a hole, you have to create a part and then you have to bring that in. And this this goes back to those those edge case things where like, okay, the software guys who were developing KiCad sat down and and had to make that an active decision to not include a hole. And I'm curious why they why they did that. I mean, I guess there's like the idea of the purity of the link between schematic and PCB. Like if something goes on the PCB, then it exists on the schematic. doesn't matter what it is, you know? I, I, in fact, I wouldn't even be surprised if like, say you wanted to put a piece of artwork on the PCBs in the silk screen, then it needs to be a component. And, and I, that, that yeah, uh, I watched a YouTube video earlier where a guy was suggesting that perhaps you might create the schematic uh, but you might not be doing the layout and you need to tell your layout guy that, Hey, this board has five mounting holes. So you put five mounting holes on your schematic such that when he creates the board, they're just there. Right. And, uh, that makes sense. I, I could, I could get behind that. It's just coming from a land where like you want to hold, click the hole button and put it down. Like it just, yeah, I was like, wait, now I have, because I haven't used KiCad. I have to go figure out how to make a part and then suck it in. Well, make a library, make a part, suck it in and just to place a hole. And all I wanted was a hole. That's a mouse bite. Like it just, a, just a little drill hit, you know, <laughs> it's like so inconsequential, but I, but I get it. So there's that, like what every EDA tool has a workflow and a workflow where like there's ways to break it. And then there's some workflows where like, I don't care at all you have to do it my way and it seems like they made it like that uh and it kind of going back to like my my button thing like a hole could have been a button on on the the tab but like someone made an active decision to just be like this is not possible you cannot do this and i and i kind of feel like maybe that's better 
maybe there's something more positive about that because then you have to be deliberate about every little thing you do. And I, th there are some default libraries out there that are called like mounting hole. And what's nice about them is you don't choose based off of like, this is a 0.157 inch hole. It, it like the, the way they're labeled in there is like M two X blah, blah, blah hole. And, and so you, there's a little bit more trustworthy, uh, trustworthiness behind those. It's like, Oh, I know I have this fastener. I can go look at this hole and it's set for a clearance fit of blah, blah, blah. Therefore like, this is a good hole for that. And, and, and I suppose it kind of prevents you from making some mistakes there. And, uh, I see some positive stuff behind that, but it's also like at the same time in my situation, I just wanted a hole in the board. But you could be like Eagle and do it both ways. You can have your whole button and do holes in a library. Well, yeah, yeah, and Diptrace does the same thing too. Like if yeah. I have some holes on my PCBs that I want to physically connect a chassis, so I make them plated through holes, but I put them on my schematic and I connect them to my chassis ground. Therefore, I know when I'm laying them out, that's my chassis ground connection. And but but I had the option. All the other holes I can just make mounting hole and put them wherever I want. It's like in Autodesk Fusion where you can use the hole tool <laughs> or you could draw a circle. <laughs> draw a circle in your schematic and extrude it or unextrude it. Sink it down. Right. Cut. Cut. That's right. That's that oh that would be the technical term. Okay, which one do you use more often? I try to use the hole command more often. I think uh, I think I've used the whole command one time. Yeah, I try to do the whole command more because it's easier to go back in your history and change stuff later. It right. feels like yeah, it also gives you more options. Like okay, I need to uh, like you can actually adjust like clearances and stuff with the whole tool. Whereas doing it with the extruded tool, you kind of have to like guess. the The whole tool infusion is more. It feels more proper. It feels more like the official way to do it. Yeah. Well, it also has like tapers and you can do a bunch of stuff like that built into that tool. Yeah. It, it, like if, if you're just drawing a circle and extruding it, that's not following a real operation. That's the, like, but if you create a hole, it's like you're telling fusion, take it over to a drill and drill it. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I get the, I get the value behind that. It's like thinking in terms of operations of how things get made. So, uh, the, the, so one of the interesting things about KiCad when it comes to all this panelization stuff is, um, I started on Google with typing in KiCad panelized boards. Cause I thought there was just going to be like, Oh, press these buttons and do these things. And no, I got like 18 tutorials where every single one was different and like, not even like like slightly different do it this way do it that way different as in like oh i've written a script that does it or this other one is like export your board and bring it into this gerber panelizer and then the, another one was like oh you need to create a footprint that has all the mouse bites and all your outlines and stuff and like everyone was like viciously different <laughs> like, like a huge amount of difference and and funny enough i ended up doing it differently than all of them i mean i did it manually <laughs> Uh, because I wanted to kind of learn it that way. And, and that is the, the part of KiCad that still feels hobbyist where like some guys like, Oh, I've written this magic script that does all the stuff. Like that feels very hobbyist as opposed to like, here's, here's the way that we've all agreed to do it. 
because it accomplishes the same goal. So instead of having like going to keycad.org or .com or whatever it is, and they have an official way of doing panelization where you can look up like, this is how the software developers intended this to work. There's almost like there's not a way that they intended it to work. They just get like, it's a free canvas and you choose how to do it. So I don't know. It's cool. Uh, the, the the nice thing is, like I said, I it was easy to pick up and very user friendly and intuitive because I would have been like massively frustrated if I was having to fight the user interface just to find out that it was difficult to do what I wanted to do. But it's actually really easy to do that. So it's it's not uh, it's not so onerous that you're just like, ah, all I want to do is draw a line, uh, except for the whole wait, are you serious? I have to create part that's a whole <laughs> but whatever <laughs> i mean that's that's not a big deal and and actually a testament to uh keycat as soon as i learned that i had to create a part that was a whole i went and did it and i didn't have to look up anything i i was i figured out within minutes like here's my footprint library here's how to create a new footprint here's how to create a hole and here's how to suck it in and i didn't have to like look anything up and i was there in in minutes i think that's a good testament to like okay your user interface is intuitive that's huge so keycad's cool i don't know if you haven't used it give it a shot i would say you know if you're getting if you're new to the game like pick up keycad for sure if you're also new to the game listen to all 256 episodes of the backlog of the Mac 5 Engineering Podcast. Hey, by the time this is out, it's 257. That's true. But no, they're already listening to 257. <laughs> well, listen to the rest of this, and then go listen to all the other ones. Correct. Okay. Um, so I was looking through the electronic subreddit and um, saw that, oh man, someone had committed the Mistake that all electrical engineers who do any kind of purchasing the components has done. And that is the all ordered in 0603 and it was metric instead of and resulting in a 0201 Imperial chip component pitfall. I think <laughs> every single electrical engineer has fallen into this trap. Um, so I actually went into this and was like, okay, why does this happen so much? And why is it only 0603 and 0201 this happens with? Um, so basically what I found out is the, uh, 0603 metric component, which is 0.6 millimeter by 0.3 millimeters is the only standard metric size that is, has, that shares the same code size as the Imperial one. <laughs> the, the curves cross at that point. <laughs> yeah, they do at that one spot. Um, so yeah, if you look at the whole chart. And 0603 is the only metric one. So, like, there's no, like, 1206 or 0805 metric size. I mean, there probably is, but it's not a standard. Um, so, this is my question. Does anyone actually use the metric sizing for chip components out there? Slack, Twitter, let me know. Because, uh, yeah, I don't know if anyone actually does. Are, are those Are those crickets? I'm hearing in the back. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've never, I've never heard anyone using that. Yeah. Now, not even data uh, sheets that are are always metric. Are they? 
Uh, virtually always. I mean, it depends on the manufacturer. I mean, for the for like um, uh, uh, footprint diagrams and, and drawings. Oh, and okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, also, I was looking at the charts and the actual like sizes of what they are. The only imperial chip size that doesn't match the actual size is O two O one. Because the like zero two zero one, what that should mean is twenty mils by ten mils. And it's actually 24 mils by 12 mils. Hmm. So it's not identical. Like an, a 0603 is 60 mils by 30 mils um, in imperial chip size. Why, wait, why would they do that, though? I don't, I don't know. Hmm. Well, I guess, uh, whatever. Uh, prob- probably the manufacturing of the part dictates the actual size. Yeah, probably does. To actually go to 20 thou by 10 thou is probably significantly more difficult. Probably. So but, I, I, I got a, I got an interesting thing. Quick side tangent. I was actually considering doing this over the break. This is ridiculous, but I, w- I want to ask, I want to ask you and the, and all the rest of the people on Slack if your situation is the same. And I was thinking about doing statistics on this. Okay. I don't do a ton of hand soldering of components, but it seems like every time without fail that I do hand soldering of SMD components and I dump my resistors out into a little pile, like 98% of them flip upside down. Like they never, ever flip up right, right side up. Is this the butter side toast test? Yeah. I, I, I really feel like this is a, this is an amp hour Dave Jones kind of thing. Like I feel like he would do this. And I mean that in a really positive way. Like I remember one time he, he measured the resistance of like a thousand resistors and then did like a Gaussian, showed a Gaussian curve over there or whatnot. But, but I was thinking about getting like 50 0603 components and like spilling them out on a table and counting how many were upside down and see if, if they, kind of tend towards flipping upside down. Cause I swear to God, every time I have to solder them, I I'm flipping over most of them mm-hmm. and it's annoying as hell. And it just, I don't, I don't know if that's your experience or anyone else's experience, but um, put it in the Slack channel. I would say it definitely happens more often with LEDs. SMT LEDs always flip upside down. <laughs> Dude, um, even, even like sought six packages. I was playing with a, with a six leg package and all of them were upside down. I had to solder like 20 of them. And I swear, I think every it's, single one. It's, it's partially, they don't, they're not like dice. Or they're not equally, like they're not equally sized. Right. And so they don't want to roll when they hit the ground. But you're flipping them from right side up in tape out upside down. Like you're tossing them. Yeah, but I swear every time I get tweezers and I go and I grab them and I flip them upside down and then I open my tweezers, they they just flip back to being upside down. I swear to God, like, they, or maybe it's just me. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm a weirdo. I did find one of my favorite things I ever did was I built that vacuum pin. Oh, with the little you suction tip on it. You remember that little vacuum pin I made? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was the with the foot actuated switch, right? Best thing ever. <laughs> Pick up QFPs really easily and stuff. Just everything. Just like that was actually more of like hand building with paste, not like actual hand soldering. Uh, cream. Cream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know if there's a, if there's enough people who are like, hey, that's my experience. Also, maybe I will actually roll the dice on on like a handful of 0603 components and see if I can prove that they tend to flip upside down. It would be really fun to build like a machine that would try to test this. <laughs> Doesn't Micronic have a machine that like you can just spill SMD components onto it and it vibrates them towards the head and it'll pick them up? I don't think it's Micronic, but yes, there is a company that builds a feeder for a pick and place like that. Yeah. And it's, um, and your components don't come in tape. They come in like ketchup packages. <laughs> Like dipping, like not like the kind like that's like a foil bag, but like the like the dipping style ketchup packages where you peel the top off and it's like a little plastic tray. That, but full of like 10k0805 like resistors. Actually, they're lots. I think they only come in like 042. But yeah, and you like load those in to like the cartridge. It's kind of funky. I I, I could I could see that now. Mauser has a drop down where it's like real cut tape. Ketchup package. <laughs> Ketchup package, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it has like a little ultrasonic table that kind of like bounces. They everything. just they just kind of like march towards the machine. And then it has a vision system where the head will like know where the part is and then just go and snag it. Yeah. yeah. And it only picks it up does. ones that are right side up. You know, okay. So I, I specifically looked this up. IPC 610A, well, or whatever rev is the most recent. They they do say that it is acceptable to install a resistor upside down. Like that is not a requirement for class one, two or three. Like your electrons don't spin the other way. Well, and, and, and at, first I, at first I thought like, that's kind of interesting because the resistive element on a SMD component is on one side of that ceramic substrate. So mm -hmm. if you have it upside down, does its uh, power handling change? And I would think that IPC would take that into account, but they're like a bazillion times smarter than me. If they say it's okay, is that what class is that under? Like, one, I, like I said, it was said it said acceptable for one, two, and three. Interesting. Yeah, I could be, I could be a hundred percent wrong on that, but uh, I would I, RMA I a board if my resistor was put on upside down, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe uh, you know I I maybe I spoke incorrectly. Maybe that was class one and two, but I swear it was all three classes. Yeah, it's a, it's a cosmetic one. thing. We we did we do training every once in a while at work, and we consider our stuff to be we call it class two plus, uh, because our stuff doesn't need to go into space, so it doesn't need to be class three. But it's we have a higher level but of it takes cosmetic. Your ears to space. <laughs> Actually, whenever whenever we do QC on a board and it comes out like flawless. We always just say send it to space, because uh, it because it meets class three, <laughs> but 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 our class two plus that we came up with is all the class two electrical rules, but the minimum um, cosmetic rules of class three. So it has to look fantastic because our people actually look at our PCBs, uh, so they they have to look fantastic, but just function in the way class two requires. That was a tangent. Yep. So. Does anyone actually use metric sizing for chip components? Let us know. And do your chips all flip upside down like mine do? Or do they just hate me? Yep. So uh, Just butter them next time. <laughs> just just say say a, a, a prayer before and ask them very nicely not to. <laughs> That's never worked before. <laughs> okay, so so I've got something that uh, is is 
an experience of mine that um, I want to I want to just kind of pass on to people. And perhaps this has also been your experience, but just learn from mine. This is not necessarily a mistake, but it's just something to consider when when buying a new machine for your shop, which, you know, that's just making an assumption that you do do that. But if you ever have to do that, just be make sure that beforehand when you're buying it, you're super explicit about everything and that whoever you're buying it from is super explicit with you about everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything. And the I, I have an experience because we just bought a new stencil printer and it arrived. Well, it actually arrived like two weeks ago, but we, we did the installation yesterday and we're doing training today. And, uh, this, oh gosh, what is it? It's a ESE US dash 2000 X screen printer. So good old fashioned squeegee style by the stencil, throw it in there and it, it wipes cream onto your boards. And, uh, <clears throat> so the thing about it is this, this, machine it was uh is manufactured in korea and it has some unique quirks to it first of all it runs on 220 volt uh, single phase not a problem i've got that available but they don't send it with a plug that is uh acceptable for uh u.s plugs is it just bare end or a different plug no it's the european two-prong with the ground tab on top that's what they sent us uh, so I, I wasn't, uh, well, all of us on our, on our purchasing chain, were not explicit with them about that. We were explicit about like, this is the power that our factory has available. Will this work? And they're like, yeah, sure. That'll work. Yeah. Everything's great. Cool. We made the assumption that it would come pre uh, with with a cable for that because we were told, Hey, Nemo, this has a power cable it with it. Well, it comes with a yeah. worthless power cable. Cool. Great. Yeah, you just go to Home Depot and pick up the right plug, though. Well, of course. Yeah, no, that's it's not necessarily a problem because I was able – I actually just pulled the cable off our old stencil printer and soldered it into their weird uh, power connector that goes on the side. Not a problem. But that's something that, like, we had we, – we didn't fully know, and we needed it right away uh, for them to be able to do the installation. So I have to go and splice cables and do all this stuff. I feel like that's something that we could have known and we weren't fully explicit about that. And they weren't either. Another thing that showed up is, uh, this, this machine requires compressed air. It has an air hose that's metric and it has a quick disconnect on it, but it is a Japanese Q style quick, quick disconnect. Yeah, Parker Parker's face is like, what the hell is Never that? Never heard of that before. Yeah, no, go look it up. Uh, so the the regular quick disconnect that's you can buy at a, a Home Depot is called an M style quick disconnect, whereas there's this this Japanese style that's called Q style, and it's used in uh, there's a handful of applications for it, but it's just not standard. And here's the thing, it also doesn't have standard threads on the back. So it's it's a finer thread than our uh, M style. MPT, right? So you can't just is it a be tapered like, thread? Uh, I think so, but it's a really it's it's like twice as fine as just keep throwing on more uh, more dope or more uh, uh, Teflon tape, man. Yeah, I mean, just like crank it, that thing on. Oh, it, it's a simple fix though, because like I mean, I just had to go out and buy a barb. And uh, and and some hose clamps and and stick it on because we're not talking about super high pressure here, so not a big ordeal. That's another thing that I wish I would have known though before. 
first of all, mm-hmm. it's something I wish I would have known before the machine showed up. But even more than that, I wish I would have known before the technician showed up to start the install and then start training because his time is limited. So it's like, ah, oh, you got to be kidding me. Okay, cool. Um, you know, and another thing, I'll raise my hand saying, that, you know, I, I probably didn't do all my due diligence on this one. Our old stencil printer had an automatic cleaning system where it basically has, for a lack of better words, it has a toilet paper roller in there and it sprays up a, a solvent on your stencil and then it wipes the stencil. Nothing particularly special there. And we knew this machine has the has a very similar system. So we've got we've got generic solvent there and the guy shows up and he's like oh that stuff we know that stuff eats the lines and it destroys the system it's like are you kidding me (laughs) so like it needs ipa which isn't a problem because we have we're an electronics manufacturer we have ipa but in order to fill the whole tank i had to use all of our ipa in the shop (laughs) so i mean once again not necessarily a problem because i just got some ipi on order and the and a guy down the street delivers it but it's like these are three things that i feel we could have had buttoned up beforehand they're they're all simple things and uh so learning from my example here is just being an engineer a lot of times a goal with something is to have everything buttoned down is to have everything in control. And that's fantastic and all. It's also somewhat exhausting because you have to think about everything. You have to put everything with a situation like this, where I just want to buy a thing. It's brand new. Like it's supposed to, to work. We asked all the right questions. You know, we have compressed air. We have, uh, you know, it has a cleaning system. It, we have, 240 volt one phase like we asked all the right questions but like we didn't go deep enough into all of those questions and i think at the same time there's also the idea of if you're selling a machine it's worth also asking those like if you know your machine comes with a european plug and it's going to america and you're sending a guy out it might be worth an email just been like hey we know this machine comes with a plug like this or at least just have it in your spec sheet Right, right. Which, which, yeah. by the way, the solvent being IPA for the cleaning system, not in the manual anywhere. Not at all. I actually scoured the manual. It's not there. So it's like, okay, we wouldn't have even known that if we knew if we hadn't known to ask, which we didn't know to ask. And uh, and it's funny too because like the technician shows up and he holds up the the power cable and he's like, oh yeah, most people just snip the end off. And I was like, cool, like I can do that, but like. I got to go find a cable now. (laughs) Well, the thing is also, it's like that plug just got shipped halfway around the world as well. Yeah. yeah. Why didn't they just leave it off in in Korea? It it was a molded plug. So like it had to be cut. Still, they could have cut there and shaved, saved a dollar and, and carbon credits shipping it across the planet. And and it was funny too because after he showed us the power cable and he picks up the air cable and he literally goes, "Oh yeah, no one ever uses this connector." And I was like, "Why do you supply it with that then?" <laughs> like you literally hold it up and be like, "Well, this is your problem now." It's like, oh, thanks, "Why dude. does the ins- yeah exactly? Why didn't the installer have the?" He knows all these things. He should have he should have came with the right stuff. And and we've been talking to these guys for like a month. So it's not like this is like a brand new thing that we just did yesterday or anything. So it's like, uh, and, and that's, you, you know, know, you know what it is. This is a little snide, but <laughs> what is 
he doesn't tell them on purpose, so he gets to waste a couple hours a day. Oh, no, that's not it. I don't think there's any conspiracy behind this or anything like that. But maybe. the uh, Yeah, so just like, if you know something, don't assume that other people also know that. Like, if you know that these cables, you're going to have to replace it, reach out and be like, hey, guys. You, we're going to have to replace the end on this connector. Maybe it'd be a good idea for you to have that when you show up. You yeah, because I don't have my truck doesn't have it. Well, I mean, this guy flew in from California. He's not flying with that. Uh, uh, and, and okay, another thing. my th- We bought a CNC two years ago, something like that, a little bit under two years ago. Uh, we We went through the entire checklist on, like, a video call of, like, here's all the things we're going to need when the technician shows up. And it was funny because, like, we had everything buttoned down. I had the whole area cleaned. I had tables out for everything. And the guy shows up, and he's like, oh, yeah, you're supposed to have a block of aluminum that's this by this by this. And I was like, was somebody going to tell us this? They just assumed that we had a random block of aluminum lying around that was just like, oh, it just it would <laughs> manifest itself because we bought a CNC, therefore we just have random aluminum. We just have stock of aluminum. <laughs> yeah, and in order to do the training, we had to have this block of aluminum, so I had to overnight a block of aluminum to our place. And it's not a huge deal because it, it wasn't like massively expensive or difficult or anything like that, but it's also like you knew that we needed that and you didn't tell us that we needed that. You just assumed that we had it. Like, really? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I probably make those mistakes with customers all the time where it's like, come on, you should have known this. No, whatever. We all have. Thanks for letting me vent, Parker. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> I think you need to uh, thank all our listeners for letting you allow more... Them allowing you to vent to them. Yeah. We'll see how many episodes, how many people don't download next week's episode. <laughs> this is not normal. Or is it? <laughs> I think it is pretty normal. <laughs> so that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We were your hosts, Parker Dolman. And Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, yes, you are a listener, for downloading our podcast and listening to Stephen rant. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Stephen and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. You can find it at MacFab.com slash Slack. <laughs>